Well, good morning, Blue Water. Man, it's so good to worship with you guys. Thanks, team, for leading us in worship of the King. I am excited to keep going in our Philippian series with you guys this morning. I don't know about you, but uh, we're in chapter two, by the way, verse 19, we're starting. I don't know about you, but every week, uh, the last little while, I just really have been leaving this place feeling joyful and just really loving our, our dive into this series. And I hope that and pray that's the same for you guys as well as we learn together. <clears throat> Um, I want to keep reminding us to, in our challenge of reading the book of Philippians, just 14 minutes, once a week for these 10 weeks, so to read it 10 times over our series together is a great challenge, and to engage with the challenge Pastor Tim gave as well, which is to memorize the first 11 verses of chapter 2. Now, he has said that he has a prize, and I was hypothesizing with some friends this week if that prize perhaps, perhaps he's planning that like if a 100 of us say, uh, memorized this and recited it to him. Perhaps he's planning to tattoo this most beautiful passage in the Bible on his body, maybe. <laughs> like, wouldn't that be a cool thing? He said, actually, theoretically, it's a great idea, and so I'm just encouraging you to embrace the mob mentality power that is ours and, and go talk to him about that. Um, this morning's text is a really cool one uh, because for me, just being honest, it seems at first glance kind of like a throwaway passage, like some information that only really matters to the original readers, and uh, it doesn't seem like it has much application for us, and that happens often in letters like this in particular, and I just wanna stop and acknowledge that there is a lot to learn here together uh, this morning, and so let's unpack what's going on in this text, because it seems like um, Paul is really just laying out his plans, like travel, this person's going here, this person's going there, and what we actually see is a really cool kind of character study of two guys that are living out what he's been talking about all through chapter one and chapter two, uh, and it's a really neat thing for us. <clears throat> we often see uh, in, in the book, at least, like, hey, Paul is doing this. Man, what an example in Paul, but Paul's kind of like a super Christian, we think sometimes, right? We, we dehumanize him. He's a regular dude. Uh, and then Jesus in chapter two, right? Man, the example of Christ modeling this perfectly for us, and we're kind of like, yeah, but who's like someone like me? Where are the average people? are? Can people really do this? And it's like Paul anticipates that thought and says, hey, here's two other guys, regular dudes who are living this out with the mind of Christ, just like I'm talking about here. And so we're gonna read about these guys and hopefully be encouraged by their faith and inspired by these guys who are very human, just like me and you. And that's Timothy and Epaphroditus, who we could say are ordinary men who serve are willing to serve in extraordinary ways. And so we're gonna be in chapter two, uh, starting in verse 19. Um, if you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can follow there, or um, I'm reading from the ESV version, but you may have another version in front of you, and that's all right too. So verse 19 says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. 
I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. It's a cool text. And we actually have kind of a mini character study of these two guys here by Paul, given as an example to us. Um, <clears throat> and we're gonna look at you know, who are these guys and what makes them unique or worthy of emulating. So first, we get Timothy, right? When we're reading there, we get Timothy. We know a fair amount about him. He's got two letters addressed to him by Paul, in fact. We know that his dad was a Greek and his mother was Jewish. We know that he was converted uh, in Paul's ministry or, or journey at Lystra. And we know something kind of interesting. We know, uh, or at least it seems to indicate in the text in 2 Timothy, that his dad was not the one, being a Greek, who who trained him up in the faith, but it was his grandmother and his mother who gave him an example of faith in Christ and helped him be trained up in the faith. And that's something we wanna camp down on for a second, because that's really cool. So it says exactly that the faith that is in him was was first a sincere faith that was visible in his grandmother and mother. Paul writes that in 2 Timothy. He also says that these women are part of those who who, um, made him as a child acquainted with the scriptures. And that's a beautiful thing. And just wanna stop and say like as parents and grandparents, may we never underestimate the impact we can have in leading children and grandchildren in an example of faith and giving them an acquaintance with the scriptures. That's amazing. And not only just parents, but in particular, in particular, like his dad is not the one to do this. He should have been there. But it's his mother and grandmother, moms, grandmas, like never underestimate the role that you have in bringing up children in the faith and leading an example of, of a Christian life and giving them an acquaintance with the scriptures. What a beautiful thing that is. And what's amazing to me is that Timothy has this fruitful life for the Lord, a fruitful ministry, and it in part begins with the work of these women. They share in the fruit of his ministry by something they could have never imagined would lead to that uh, in the beginning, but it's a really cool thing to see. Just keep that in mind. What else do we know? We know that Paul says uh, the Philippians know of his proven worth, meaning like they know him. They know his reputation. It speaks for itself. They've seen him serving in the trenches with Paul. Uh, He knows these people. He knows Lydia. He knows the jailer, he knows the slave girl, right? These are his people, he cares about them, and they care about him. Then we have Epaphroditus, maybe someone we've never heard of before, and probably for good reason, because Philippians is the only place in the whole Bible we hear this guy's name. He is a Philippian, he's a local, he's just one of, one of the people of this church. We have no reason to believe he's an elder, or a leader, or a teacher, he's a guy from Philippi who is willing to go. Okay, Uh, it says that he is bringing um, a gift to Paul, like a care package, probably money, maybe some other things. Um, He's undoubtedly the one bringing back this letter that we're reading to the church, okay? He's also not just a messenger, it says, but a minister to Paul to help him in his needs. Okay, ministry, caring for him in other ways than just giving a gift. And kind of a cool side note is Epaphroditus means belonging to Aphrodite. It's a pagan goddess. How cool is it, and what a little like, awesome example of the transformative power of the gospel that this guy now could be more rightly named belonging to Christ, who's serving even at the risk of his life, which we'll talk about later. It's a really cool thing. 
So to to the Philippians, he's a a messenger delivering a package to Paul. He's much more. It says he's a brother. Check it out. It says he's a co-worker and a fellow soldier. So let's unpack that. He's a brother because he actually loves this guy. He loves him with a brotherly love. He cares about him deeply. He considers him a fellow worker. The word is synergos, meaning working together, okay, The word in Greek has more power. If you're at a business meeting and someone says, hey, we should work together, people are like, okay. Then if they say, we need synergy, you're like, yes, we need synergy, we need that. That's like a buzzword, right? Meaning working together, meaning having the same goal in mind, the same vision, and being on the same team. Like he says earlier, striving side by side for the gospel. One mind, one spirit. He calls him also a fellow soldier. This implies the risk of suffering. Soldiers are laying their life on the line, after all, right? They're in a battle, and so are we, in the fight to push back darkness with the gospel. Same fight we're engaged in today. They're on the front lines of ministry together. And we know from in, in real times of war, that brotherly bond between people at arms together in the trenches is a powerful thing. Sometimes people go home from war and they, they can only really relate in this deeper way to you know, the men and women that were side by side with them on the battlefield, right? That's kind of the same thing for Christians. There's a deep bond in that we're willing to stand up and suffer together in that way. And these three ways of speaking are, that he has for Epaphroditus should be the same for us. When we look around in our, in our church building and in, the, and in the larger church as well, we should see each other as brothers and sisters. We should genuinely have affection for one another because of the thing that we have in common, which is the greatest thing, salvation in Christ. We should see ourselves as fellow workers. I should and you should see that we have the same goal in mind, hopefully, right? Same team, same vision. We're striving after the same thing that people would know and follow Jesus. And we're fellow soldiers, and the fact that we're engaged in this battle every day together, right? When you've had a terrible week and you're just trying to spend time with God and live his way, man, like we can support one another in that. Maybe I've had the same. When you're, when you're scared to share your faith with your coworker, I don't have that same experience, but you know, we're, we're in the trenches together, right? We can lift each other up. We're suffering alongside each other in this Christian life. We're fellow soldiers for the cause. Verse 30, he says that Epaphroditus was completing what was lacking in their service to him. If that doesn't sound like the biggest burn, like, ever, he sounds like he's slamming the Philippians. What's actually going on is he's saying, like, by nature of him coming to be here, he's able to help me in ways that you can't because you're far away. You would if you could, but man, I'm so glad you sent him because of this distance, right? It's not a burn. It's not a slam. He's bringing something that he very much needs. He's there to care for Paul. Remember, the state doesn't care about prisoners, okay? Uh, in our partnerships with the Sarnia Jail recently, it's been a really, really cool thing to have a chance to, to see what life is like there and, and meet people there. Um, and man, the, the state here cares for the needs of, of those who are incarcerated, right? They're, they're fed, they're safe, they're given medical attention, they're given spiritual care, they're given a chance to, to grow and learn. Uh, In Paul's day, that's not the case. Any of his needs need to be met by friends or family or he's on his own, and so they're stepping into into this need, right? So I wanna say, what what makes these guys examples worth mentioning? Why are they special? Why should we consider them unique and worth emulating? The first thing, there's three things. First thing is they have the mind of Christ. They have the mind of Christ. These men are able to do the work of Christ, in fact, because they have this mind of Christ. Those things go together. 
Sometimes we wanna just do stuff for Christ without actually having the mind of Christ that we're reading about all through Philippians 2. I wanna keep those things connected. It says that these guys are living out this way of life, this way of thinking. Paul had said, have this mind among yourselves, right, which is yours in Christ Jesus, and he, he outlines this type of living, and these guys are doing it. They're proving like this is possible for real followers of Jesus, even, even the not so famous ones. Considering others more significant than themselves, looking to the interests of others over their own, being willing to suffer for others, all without grumbling or disputing. It's amazing. And we see the evidence of it because of what Paul says about them, so let's check it out. Hopefully you still have it in front of you. Paul says about Timothy something really cool to me. He says that I have none like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Genuinely concerned. That means that Timothy's motivation to serve isn't that he feels obligated, not because Paul said so, not because he wants to earn favor with God or just be looked at as a, a celeb in the, in the early church. He genuinely cares about these people, and that's important. And we should ask ourselves, when I'm serving the people in my sphere of influence, what's my motivation? Do I have to? Do I feel obligated? Am I trying to earn points with God? Or do I actually care, and that's the motivation that I wanna serve out of? Because it's easy to tell when people genuinely care or they don't, right? If you've ever sat down with someone and wanted to just spill your guts and, and have them listen and comfort you or encourage you, there's good listening and there's bad listening. And when someone listens badly, you're just like, yeah, you, you don't care, right? That stings. When someone listens well, if you know a gifted listener, you feel like, wow, like, there's a genuine concern for me here. And it's a beautiful thing. People can tell and that should be our motivation. He also says this of Timothy, that Timothy seeks the interests of Christ while others seek their own interests. And this is something we can be guilty of too, right? Seeking our own interests. Even in our churches where we love Christ, we can seek our own interests instead of his. And that might be showing up in how we use our time or, or what we expect when we come to church or our attitude towards service or all kinds of things. But it might look like this. Surely no one here would say this. But hypothetically, someone might arrive at church and say, oh, this coffee was not freshly ground this morning. That was a good time of worship, except that one song. Could have done without that one song. It was a little much. Or can you believe they let the youth pastor have a microphone? Unpardonable sin. We can say all kinds of things like this that show that we're really putting our own interests over the interests of Christ. I was encouraged, uh, for many years I've had this example in mind of my grandparents, how they kind of modeled this having the interests of Christ above their own. They've been faithfully attending a local church for, for decades, and through all the ups and downs and all the changes of style and all these things that have happened, changes of leadership. And I remember my grandparents telling me that um, when there was a, a certain disagreement about music styles, they said to me very honestly, you know what, we don't like this new music. <laughs> this is not our favorite kind of music, but you know what is cool is when we look around, see so many young families see young people engaged in worship, being blessed by this style. Even though it's not my preference, I'd rather see that than have my own interests met. And that always stuck with me of like, just even a little example of the mind of Christ, the interests of Christ over our own. And Timothy models this too, so does Epaphroditus. When Epaphroditus is sick, catch this, he's not sad he's sick, he's sad that they're sad he's sick. <laughs> That is this like so exemplified, right? It's like a parent who's ill and can see their child is burdened that they're ill and cares more about the, the burden on their kid than their own health. 
That's what he's, he's showing. He's walking out this Philippians 2 mindset of having the mind of Christ, others' needs above his own. <clears throat> Even in Paul, we see a selflessness to send Timothy and his friend Epaphroditus. He's, he's alone, right? He's in jail. That's a selflessness. And to be like this is not normal. Our culture would scream that you're a fool, really, if you don't put your own interests above the interests of others. This way of living is totally countercultural, and yet this is what we're called to in Christ, that what these guys are modeling for us. Second thing, okay, they are willing servants, and they're willing to serve in whatever way is needed, right? These guys are glad to help however is needed. They're not really doing something glamorous, right? Timothy is sent on a 1,300-kilometer wellness check, a pastoral checkup, to see how are you guys doing, how was the letter received, and to tell them how Paul is, right? Epaphroditus is sent this whole way to deliver money and to bring back a letter. These aren't the standard kind of miracle-working um, type of situations, right? And Timothy did this for years, going where Paul said you know, he needed to be present and for staying as long as he needed to be there. They're modeling this well. And you gotta remember, they don't have phones. The only way for news to spread is that someone would go, that a letter would be sent and received. And that's hard for us, because I live in a world where if you don't respond to my text within an hour, I'm concerned for your welfare. You may be a psychopath. Why are you not responding quickly, right? We can even forget what it was like before smartphones. I'm proud to say I didn't have a smartphone until third year of university, guys. Texting was just in third year of university. And I found myself wondering the other day, how did we communicate before that? Like, I couldn't even remember. Like, if I wanted to get a hold of someone, what would I do? And then I thought, like, I guess you have to call them, and I guess you just have to hope that they're home. And if they're not home, you, you won't talk to them. Like, whoa, that's crazy, right? To think we went through that together. But in their world, like, you had to go. 1,300 kilometers to hear how a friend was, right? It's absolutely crazy. And Epaphroditus is the guy who says, I'm willing to go. You can kind of imagine a meeting in the Philippian church saying like, hey, we've raised all this money, awesome. We, we long for our brother Paul. Man, we, we gotta be there with him. He needs someone to care for him. We can't all go, but someone has to go, right? Who's gonna make this huge trip? Who's gonna walk for a month and a half? Who's gonna sail across the sea and go be with him in jail? And Epaphroditus is the guy who puts his hand up and says, I could do that, I could go, right? And the cool thing to think about is the only reason we have this letter that, I don't know about you, I love deeply, it's awesome, is because a guy put up his hand and said, I'm willing to go. That's why we have this letter to the Philippians. And we should seek to model the same type of behavior, being someone who counts others more significant, looks to others' interests, being willing to serve, and not just serve how we want or the, the flashy ways, but whatever is needed within the community of faith. Because a lot of times, being honest, in the church, we hear about needs and we think, oh man, that's a big need. I really hope someone steps up and fills that need. That's not my wheelhouse, because you know, it's not related to my giftings or my age and stage or whatever it might be, but someone should totally fill that need. And a lot of those needs don't get filled, right? Because we kind of know that it's been said 80% of the work within the church gets done by about 20% of the church community. And maybe that's even generous. I heard an analogy this week that I, I thought was pretty cool that's about four guys on a lifeboat. So there's two guys at this end of the boat and two guys at this end of the boat. And the guys at this end of the boat spring a leak and there's a hole in the boat. And they are bailing water furiously, they're getting heated with each other, they're panicking. And these guys in this end of the boat just look at each other and they say, 
like, wow, I'm sure glad we don't have a hole in our end of the boat, right? And sometimes that's our attitude within the church, right? When the reality is, if we're fellow workers, we're brothers and sisters, we're fellow soldiers, a hole in the community is a, is a hole that needs met by all of us, right? All of us should be responsible for seeking to meet that need because it impacts all of us. We're in this together. And here at Blue Water, we have all kinds of needs. <laughs> it's kind of tied in nicely that we're talking about volunteering and we've actually started a new part of the website this past week of listing all the roles that need filled right on the website. And this isn't a, a guilt trip or anything, but man, it is an amazing experience to step into some of these needs and, and take joy in serving alongside one another, fellow workers, right? Commend that to you. It's a really cool thing. The third thing that makes these guys unique is that they are deeply, deeply courageous. These are some brave men. Timothy's with Paul in Rome. He's gone with him into the heart of danger many times. He's, he's put a lot of miles on boats. He's got a lot of steps in following Paul into dangerous situations. Uh, we know he goes to Ephesus and, and pastors there because Paul says, hey, there's false teaching there. You gotta go. We need you there. And we have reason to believe that that's where he lost his life pushing back against sinful practice, beat to death for the cause of Christ. He's a brave man. We know that Paphroditus is a courageous guy. He's going a long way on the road, maybe alone, but certainly at risk, carrying this money, walking many miles, sailing, which is dangerous at this time of the year. <clears throat> it's not an easy thing. And also, he has to go associate with a death row inmate and say, I'm with him, we believe the same. This is in Rome under Nero, who's killing Christians by the multitude for fun, for sport. It's like, that's brave, right? And Epaphroditus also gets sick along the way, and it's implied by Paul that he's taking a risk by continuing to be with him. The word in Greek is literally that he's gambling his life. Parabola, he's gambling his life. And there's something kind of cool about this. There's a whole kind of segment of people in the early church that latched on to this idea of gambling his life. And Epaphroditus kind of became their, their model. They called themselves the Parabolani, the gamblers, and they entered into as many dangerous situations as they possibly could, visiting prisons, visiting the sick and contagious, risking their life for the gospel because they saw this example in him and said, we wanna do that too, be courageous. And now Paul is sending his fellow soldier back, uh, back home kind of with like a purple heart commendation of like he's been, he's been hurt in service and man, he's done a great thing. Receive him, enjoy, even though he was supposed to be here longer. And we love stories like this, hey? Where people are willing to risk their life for stuff. That's awesome, that's, that's what good stories are made of, courageous acts like that. And we really do, when I'm thinking about this, need to ask ourselves, I need to ask myself, would I be willing to risk my life in a similar way? Would I? Like if a gunman were to approach me and say, you must recount, recant, would I be willing to die for the gospel? Would I be willing to go to jail for the gospel? What are things that we believe strong enough that we would be willing to risk our life for? I've been surprised even lately how, how quickly, how shockingly quickly sometimes people are willing to abandon their beliefs, but are there things that you believe that you'd be willing to, willing to die for? It's a big question. Christians through the centuries have died and been willing to risk their life just like this for the gospel and we should look to them as an example. That's really important stuff to think through if we would do the same. But I also think sometimes we, we make a jump to say, oh, I would die for Jesus. But then we don't think, 
hey, but I, would, would I also be willing to be uncomfortable for Jesus, right? Would I be willing to put the needs of someone else uh, above my own? Would I be willing to share even though I'm scared, right? Could be even something small. Would I be willing to give my sibling shotgun in the car? Some of you think you would rather die than give shotgun to a sibling in the car. I've realized uh, with our exchange students that we have at our house that shotgun is not a universal rule. Did you know that? And I've never seen two people embrace a cultural value as passionately as our boys here. The amount of times I've had to pull out the official rules of shotgun in the driveway before we could even leave our place. And I'm realizing now I'm sending these, these people back to their countries uh, to be in families where they're never gonna share the front seat again in their entire life. They're gonna run from buildings yelling shotgun and frighten people. It's, it's this whole thing. But for real, are we willing to be uncomfortable? Am I willing to love someone who's hard to love? Am I willing to put the needs of a difficult family member above my own or, or do jobs that I think are beneath me? That's something. And that ha- those decisions happen a lot more than someone holding a gun to your head saying, would you die for the gospel? Those are everyday choices, right? I would die for my wife and kids, but would I put my phone down and play with my kids? Would I turn off the game? even a big game, help my wife with something if she needs it. Be willing to die for the gospel, but a better question is, am I willing to die to myself? Because everything we're reading in chapter two and in chapter one is about this idea that living Christ's way means dying to ourselves, to our own needs, our own comforts, our own me first mentality and saying, hey, to live for him is better than to live for me. And that is a difficult thing, but that's what we're called to. Serving the needs of others, whatever ways we're able. And this is possible when we submit to Christ and yield to his spirit's work in us. It is something that we can do. I don't know if you're like me, but I grew up on and and loved 90s action movies. This is back when they made good movies about real heroes. None of these caped superheroes over and over and over. These were the real guys, okay? Regular Joes who were willing to do difficult things. Guys like Bruce Willis and Stallone and Harrison Ford and Arnold and all these guys who are willing to just be heroes, okay? And what's cool about these guys and these movies to me is they're not special. They don't have superpowers, they don't have capes. They're just police officers, husbands, dads that are willing to do heroic things when needed. They're willing to step up and do the things that the people around them just simply aren't willing or aren't courageous enough to do. And this kind of reminds me of Timothy and Epaphroditus. There's nothing special about these guys in, in one sense. They're not associated with grand miracles like Moses or you know, they're not uh, apostles. They weren't with Jesus. Um, we don't even know what their positions are in some of these churches. They're regular guys who are willing to do things that others around them weren't willing to do because their lives have been so transformed by Christ. Even if it's costly. They're willing to live out exactly what Paul's teaching in chapter one, chapter two. To forsake their needs and live for others' interests and the interests of Christ. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you probably think the stuff that we're talking about is absolute foolishness. Like honestly, to, to, to live this way, to put others first, to be willing to die for something like this, like it just sounds insane. You might say, well why? Why would anyone wanna live this way? And so just let me explain, as Christians, we would live this way because we believe that Jesus is worthy of us living this way. 
If we fast forward up a couple of verses only in chapter two, we read about this Jesus who modeled this way, who though he was fully God, also fully man, humbled himself in obedience to death, even death on a cross, and that was so that me and you, if we believe in him, could move out from under the wrath of God and be made right with him walking in friendship, walking in relationship with God we have no business being in relationship with, and all that it requires of us is to turn from our sin and believe in him and say, your way, Christ first, is better than my way of me first. That's why we do it. And I would commend to you that living that way is the best way to live. He invented life. I think he knows the best way it should be lived. And so if you're here today and something in you is, is wondering, like, what would that mean for me to surrender to Jesus and live this way that we see modeled here? Because something in me says that's a better way. We'd love to talk to you about what that could mean for you. But if you're here and you are a believer, you might say, okay, this is possible. Some dudes did it 2,000 years ago. But it's still really hard, is it not? It's really hard to do. And so what are we to make of this? It's possible, sure, but it's difficult. And the cool thing is he can help us with this too. We already read for it's him that's at work in us, both for <clears throat> to, to work and to will for his good pleasure. Meaning, when I don't want to live this out, he can help me want to live this out. And when I don't think I'm able to live this out, he can make me able to live this out. It's a beautiful thing. He doesn't leave us alone in this crazy calling that we have. He's with us the whole way through. The very end, Paul says, when they receive Epaphroditus, honor such men and take joy in receiving this guy. And we should honor such men and women and take joy in their example, absolutely, look up to that. But more importantly, may we be those that seek to, to pray that we would be such men, be such women, that would live this type of life sacrificially, the mind of Christ, with courage even to the point of death, but also with courage to die to ourselves in the everyday stuff too. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this awesome letter that we get to be so blessed by today because uh, servants of yours were willing to follow in obedience to what you'd called them to many, many years ago. I pray that you'd help us. I uh, pray that you'd convict us of where our minds are on our own interests, not the interests of Christ. May we lean on you who works in us, uh, that we, we may want to live your way and that we can be able to live your way with your help by the power of the Spirit. Lord, I pray for those who are here and maybe don't know you, Jesus, that something would be stirred inside them and they would have the courage to respond and say, this seems a better way. My way has not worked. Me first has not worked. Maybe this Jesus first way um, is the way. I pray that you just move in hearts and minds today, Lord, that some would come to know you who are here who don't yet. And I pray that we would live this out in the everyday. It's a beautiful thing to be willing to die for the cause of Christ, but may, may we also be willing to be uncomfortable and put others' needs before our own today and tomorrow uh, and throughout this week as well. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for being here, guys. Have a great day. You are loved.